What's up, Warriors? Welcome to another wonderful Warrior Wednesday. Yes, I couldn't uh, escape the alliteration there. I just absolutely love it. I hope we can deal with that a little bit. So we're so thankful tonight for Warrior Wednesday. This is going to be a topic that's a little bit heavy topic, but if we weren't going to talk about this here at Warrior Wednesday at Protector's Toolkit, uh, th then I don't know who would. I mean, there's so many there's so many reasons to talk about the subject we're going to be talking about tonight that I think you're going to be blessed about this and your ministries. I think you're going to walk away with a lot of information uh, for your ministries and, and things to implement within your ministries and to make you more aware. And isn't that really what we're all about here at Protector's Toolkit? Our guiding biblical principle, as you all know, Proverbs 18, 15 says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. To break that down even a little bit further, the easy to read version of the Bible says it this way, wise people want to learn more, so they listen closely to gain knowledge. And you all understand that you're warriors. When I say what's up warriors, you are warriors because you have agreed to show up to your church on Sunday, Wednesday, whenever that is, and ensure there is a safe and secure worship environment. So thank you so much for doing that. And again, thank you for being here. Over in the comment section, I already see my friend uh, Ray Coates out there from Longview. If you are dropping in right now, make sure you let us know your church and the location you're watching from in the comment section. That's also a great place to drop all of your questions tonight. So let's get into tonight's topic and introduce our guest. I am so incredibly pumped about this interview, uh, this talk with uh, someone I'm, I'm going to call a friend right off the bat because I've, I've learned quite a bit about her and her book. Uh, let me pray upon you. Uh, Sandy Phillips Kirkham is the author of this, and this details her journey from being an in innocent 16-year-old uh, kid in church to being uh, uh, sexually abused by a, a clergy member in her church and her journey through that and then coming to uh, to a final result in that. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. So thank you, Sandy, so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity to be here. Tell people where you're joining us from, Sandy. Uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a native of Cincinnati. lived here all my life. Very good. Very good. And so you wrote the book. And can you give us like maybe the Cliff Notes version of the book so we can just get people aligned real quick? Uh, I wrote the book for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I was frustrated by the lack of understanding of clergy sexual abuse and the misinformation that was out there. And more importantly, I was frustrated by the responses of churches sometimes and how they handled the situation. But mostly I wrote it and was motivated to write it for other victims. Um, soon after I began my journey of healing, I found myself doing victim advocacy work with the Hope of Survivors Ministry. And it, I began to understand that my story was powerful and was helpful to other victims. And so I thought, I, I have an obligation to share my story so that I can help others through their own journey. And I often have wondered through the years, what would have changed in my life had I heard someone else's story while my own abuse was going on? Maybe someone else's story would have inspired me and gave me the courage to come forward instead of hiding my secret for 27 years. So I felt like I had an obligation to write the book for other victims. So that was the reason I wrote the book. Um, the story is that I was sexually abused by my youth pastor at age 16. Um, the abuse went on for five years. It was um, a matter of control and I, I didn't know how to get out of the situation. I felt trapped um, and it went on for five years till his actions were discovered. He was forgiven. He was given a going away party. He was moved to the next church and I was called in by the elders and told that I was to leave the church, which 
absolutely devastated me. I loved that church. I was very active in it. I sang in the choir. I taught Sunday school. It was a place that I absolutely loved. And being told that I wasn't fit to worship there was devastating to me. Um, and that set me on a journey for 27 years of a disconnect from the church and from God um, until a trigger factor set me to a point that I had to face my past and deal with what was done to me. So that's the cliff notes. There's um, you know, a, a lot in between and it was a difficult book to write, but um, healing in some ways uh, for me and the response has been that it, it has served its purpose. And then I know that it, is, it has helped some people out there who've been, who've been abused by clergy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, uh, I just want to tell you, uh, primarily in this ministry in the church safety and security space there's a there's a lot of men in this ministry and so guys i'm, I'm speaking to you directly right now this is not a book that, that that you're you need to shy away from this is a book that you need to go get you and, and we'll tell you how to get that tonight um to read through this story this is a touching story i, I will tell you quite frankly uh for me to you the guarantee is you probably won't put it down i didn't put it down i sat there with my coffee refilled my coffee and, and read the book at length because it was just such a compelling story. Um, and maybe some of that was because of my work in law enforcement. Um, I, you know, Sandy, I could see the, when, when you were describing the grooming, I've seen that before. I've heard <laughs> stories like that before, the controlling, the dominating, um, just controlling your outfits, even controlling who you dated. Uh, I've seen that so often and I just, I, I wanted to reach through the book if that was possible and, and stop it. And it just really uh, was such a powerful story. So I just want to say uh, my personal guarantee to every warrior that gets this book, you will find that in the same way. You'll read this book and you'll not want to put it down. And it's such a, such a powerful and moving story. So thank you for writing that story, Sandy. And, you know, this isn't about pastor bashing. This isn't about, you know, tearing down the church. This is really a, a story to be told so that it can be helped for others to understand the dynamics of clergy sexual abuse. You know, it's not just an affair or some man who made a mistake. And if we don't talk about it, we're not going to be able to solve the issue within the church because it's happening in our it churches and synagogues. It's everywhere. It's not, you know, so we need to talk about it. And that's why I certainly appreciate this opportunity to do that. Yeah, it, it, it is really, it's, it's a story about one person, but holistically, it's a story about a process or a system uh, that allows this one person to exist. And it's not just one person. I, I know that personally, you know that personally, and some of the advocacy work that you do, that it's not just one person. It is, it is a system that allows this to go on. You know, you, I, I don't want to bash the other side, but you can't hardly uh, pick up a news story anymore without seeing something about the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And and, and, and now I just read a story how they're moving money around. So they either can file bankruptcy for certain churches and they can't, victims can't get money. And there's so much of this going on that I, I, I think if we could, as warriors, if we say we're warriors, if we can find uh, these things happening, we can stand up and speak up. Uh, a lot of this, uh, or hopefully some of this could at least uh, be solved. And if not solved, mitigated in, in in ways that it just puts it out in the public and doesn't allow it to fester and, and destroy right. lives. Right. So, again, if you're joining just now, make sure you drop in the comments where you're joining us from, name and church, name and church, city and church. And uh, this is a great place also to ask all your questions. I will give you all a challenge right now. If you're joining us, share this with somebody. You know somebody in your life right now that will be impacted by this story we're talking about tonight. So please hit that share button down at the bottom and do that for one or two people right now. So 
we know the, the what prompted you to write the book. Um, so let me ask you, Sandy, uh, what sets clergy abuse uh, apart from other types of sexual abuse? Well, any kind of sexual abuse is horrific, but what sets clergy sexual abuse apart is that it touches a very part of our soul, a very sacred part of our soul, and it contaminates and it distorts the victim's connection to God. And so that when when it's a clergy person, it it, it, it distorts everything about the church, it contaminates it. You know, I, I love church, everything about it, I loved. There wasn't anything, I loved growing in my faith. It was a place I absolutely found peace and joy. After the abuse, it turned it into complete chaos and turmoil for me. I, I couldn't go to church without feeling sick to my stomach. And that's what clergy abuse does. And so it's, it's a, it takes it to the next level. You know, like I said, any kind of abuse is horrific, but clergy abuse intensifies it to a point where it takes away your spiritual life. And I mourn the loss of the spiritual life that I had prior to the abuse. I'm, I, it will never be the same for me. I talk about that in the book chapter, Spiritual Wounds and what it does. And, I, and again, it's so important for clergy to read that chapter because it, it to me, it tells you what clergy abuse does to a victim. It's not just a, an emotional, it, it's a spiritual damage. It's almost, I've had victims say, I feel like my soul was raped. And that's the difference. So, you know, if you've got a problem or you have a crisis in your life, you might go to your clergyman, you, you know, your priest or your rabbi, your minister. Where does a victim of clergy abuse go when the pain and the hurt was caused within the church and they can't trust the church and they're, they're leery of trusting pastors again? We lose that connection as well as the connection we have with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I remember reading in the book um, when, you know, they called you Miss Sunshine, right? And then it went on. Uh, all I could think is, well, they just took her sunshine away, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was so impactful to me to, to think of it in that regard because everything you did in your church was so focused on church. From when the when the twins first took you to church and you and you got a taste of it, you were all in. I was and, off to the races with it. I loved it. I loved yeah. everything about it. It became it became your family because I, you know your family was so fractured at the time. Right. Um, it it became your family, and you know so. It's it, it's so much more damaging when it is. It seems like someone you put all your love, trust, and hope in just it, isn't there for you when it's supposed to be. Right, right. And um, these they look for vulnerable people. They look for the you know certainly being a teenage girl. That's you know that's a vulnerability in itself. But they look for those who are the weakest and that they can easily manipulate the you know and that's what they're looking for. And they're very good at spotting those individuals who have crisis in their life or vulnerabilities. Yeah, absolutely. They they are predators. Uh, they're they're uh, type A personality predators. You know, they're apex predators, and they they know their game. Uh, and I think, that's well. failure, I think that's part of the failure on the church's part because they only see it as a uh, you know when well, he made a mistake or you know everybody can be tempted or that's not yeah. what's happening in these in these cases. Yeah, no, especially when he was passed along from another church with another victim already mm -hmm. and came out. And uh, I'm going to ask this question later, so I'll, I'll wait. But I, I think I have some ideas why they did that. Um, yeah, you know, one of the one of the I mean, there's a lot of parts to cheer for in the book as well. Uh, it's just so fabulously written. Uh, but Kathy uh, from Youth Group, when mm -hmm. she was able to see through the facade uh, mm -hmm. that the Jeff character had, 
uh, it, it just made me cheer. Like, okay, here we go. We we we're this we got this guy on the ropes, and he's going to have to stop what he's doing, and he's going to be found out, and someone's going to be wearing a superhero cape, right? Um, how? Why do you think Kathy and, and people like that are able to see through this? Uh, Kathy was one of the youth group leaders. Um, you know, I'm not sure why she was able to see through him, but she did. Um, he was like a cult leader and he expected people to kind of fall in line with his ideas and his ways of doing things. And she she didn't do that. And so that was a conflict with them and tension between the two of them all the time. And so when she started thinking that this didn't look right with the way he was treating me and the, the attention he was giving me, you know, she, she confronted him with it. And you know, of course, he denied it and accused her of all kinds of things. But I think she had a way of reading people, maybe. And um, she just wasn't going to fall for everything he was dishing out. And she eventually left the church, which he suggested she do. Right. Right. That's uh, and that's that's the way. Right. If, if there's an obstacle in my way, I've got to get rid of it because mm -hmm. uh, they're on to me. And so I'll, I'll make them look bad. I'll put them down. I'll belittle them and I'll put everybody against them. So they do eventually have to go away. That's exactly what happened. Yep. So, uh, you know, here's the question. Um, was it money? Was it embarrassment? Uh, combination of both that can allowed the church to keep kicking the Jeff problem. You know, the church as a whole, uh, the church that he came from, your church, and then the church, the subsequent churches after that, that allowed them to keep kicking the Jeff problem down the road. You know, I do think it's a little bit of both. Um, he was very charismatic, very dynamic. Every church that he ever was pastored, he grew the church within numbers. I mean, they record numbers. And so churches don't want to give that up. Uh, that's part of it. It's, you know, the money comes in, you have this, these dynamic programs and the church is vibrant. It seems to be growing. I always said it, you know, it was growing in numbers, but not spiritually under his mm -hmm. leadership. So they don't want to lose that. And I also think there's the, that they don't want, they want to protect him. He, he's someone that they've come to think they love. He's again, he's like this cult leader. So they don't want to discipline him. And so the easiest thing to do is to say, well, he made a mistake. He says he's sorry. We'll move on. And as you indicated, just after arriving at our church, a young woman from his first church came forward and accused him of sexual inappropriate behavior. And what did my elders do? What did the senior minister at the time do? He, they confronted him. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I Yes, I did it, but I'll never do it again. And that was the end of it. The congregation wasn't made aware of it. And within six months, he was kissing me in my hallway. So, you know, so we, the churches need to understand this is a pattern with these men. And mm -hmm. one time is usually not just one time. Right. Certainly when you know of one time, that should be the end of it. He shouldn't be given a second chance. Second chance means he has a second chance to reoffend. And so, you know, the, the idea that these men should be given second chances. Now, you know, that's not to say that they can't be forgiven and they can't repent, but they've lost that privilege of ministry by their own actions and, and demonstrating the behavior that they have done, that this is not, a, they're not fit for ministry. They're, they are truly wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, yes. They they pretend to be one of us so that we trust them, but they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, I think the Bible, it's 27 times wolves in sheep's clothing are mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's, so we shouldn't be surprised that we find these men in our midst because we're warned that they will be there. What we need to start doing a better job at is what do we do once we find them? And, and, and let me say, 
you know, a repentant person deserves all the love and the grace that God gives to all of us, but they deserve it sitting in the back row of the church, not right. standing in the pulpit. And if it involves a minor, they don't belong in the church near children. Um, and churches need to move off the idea that, well, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We shouldn't judge each other. We all, God gives us second chances. That's all true. But when you, that's the moral side of it. The professional side of it is, he broke the vows of his ordination. Mm -hmm. he, he, any, any profession, whether it's a, a doctor, anyone that you're in a helping profession, a teacher, a counselor, you have any kind of sexual relationships with someone under your care, you lose your license and you no longer permitted. That should be the same in ministry. Again, it's not about punishment. It's about safety and integrity of the church. It's saying to the members of your church, we care enough about you to remove this man who has demonstrated he's not fit for ministry. He can do other jobs. We can help him. We'll, we'll pay for his counseling. We'll do whatever we want to do to help him. But he's lost that privilege. Yeah, absolutely. You know, being so charismatic, I, you know, even the last church where he was and, you know, you sent the letter and, and one of the responses back was you're going to be responsible if this church closes. Mm -hmm. No, no, this this clown, this this wolf in sheep's clothing is responsible for that. And it, and it, you know, in the law enforcement world, when we deal with sexual predators like this and we get the case on the desk and we and we start taking in the information, we don't just also only focus on that case. We also look at, OK, there's got to be more. This is not the first time we're coming across uh, or this person has done this. So let's start figuring out who all the other victims are as well, because it's not typically an isolated incident when it's something like this. And I think church leadership wants to believe that it was just this one time because it's easier to deal with it that way. Um, but, you know, and, and the other thing I will say, I, I understand the difficulty that churches have when, they, when their beloved pastor is caught with sexual misconduct because this is a man that's baptized them. It, he's, he's married them. He sat at their bedside when their mother was sick and dying. So they have this personal connection, which makes it even more dis difficult for them to discipline this person. That's why I suggest that even getting outside help um, and not just dealing with it within the church. And so many independent churches don't have a hierarchy. So right. they really, truly are, it's the 11 elders that are dealing with it and they get to make the decision on what is to happen. And and that that sets them up for bad response and it sets them up to re-victimize the victim. Um, so it's really, really important, I think, to get an outside help to say, okay, here's our situation. What's the best way to handle this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things I equated this to, uh, again, just going back to my experience in law enforcement, if, if you have a bad officer uh, that, that gets arrested for a crime of moral turpitude or something like that, well, then any case he's filed, you know, recently or is pending, those typically get pulled from the district attorney or the county attorneys and pled out or dismissed because that's only going to be evidence against that officer mm -hmm. and against that department. And, and so, you know, when, when the Jeff character broke the integrity of his, his ordination, I look at all the other pieces of integrity within that church that could have also been broken. Or if I'm an attendee, I'm, I'm thinking, well, if he broke this, what else right. has broken? What is, am I really saved then? Have I been saved? Uh, and, and all these other integrity issues. That yes. Possibly exactly. I mean, I, I, I talked in the book 
you know, he would preach on the sanctity of marriage on a Sunday morning after he'd had sex with me the night before. This was not a, a, man, a spiritual man. He appeared to be, but he wasn't. And you're right. It, it has a ripple effect on, you know, he would share with me uh, moments that he had in counseling with people and, and tell me their details of their counseling session. I mean, that's, you know, that's so inappropriate. And these people were trusting him with their most intimate problems and secrets. And he's, you know, sharing them with me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions I, I, I think is, is going to be important here uh, for, for, you know, right now and for people that rewatch this, um, people that are watching this that may be or rewatching this that may be in a similar situation to yours, uh, if they're being sexually victimized by clergy and you could talk directly to them, you have the camera, the mic right now, what, what would you say to them? The first thing I would say is you need to understand that what has been done to you or is being done to you now is not your fault. This is a man that should have been trusted, that you should be able to trust it and was in a place that you should have been safe. So any guilt, any shame that you now feel belongs squarely on your abuser. So and, and people say, well, of course, it's not their fault if this is. But victims always take on an un, the unnecessary part of the guilt and the shame. So first of all, it's not your fault. Secondly, I would say, educate yourself. Understand what clergy sexual abuse is. Understand the terms of grooming, manipulation, gaslighting. Because once you begin to understand what was done to you and how it was done to you, you can then begin to free yourself of that guilt and shame. And I actually loved your beginning with the verse because that's so true education power is in the knowledge and so once you begin to understand those things it helps you to begin that healing process third i would say look for support groups so there's so many of them online the hope of survivors is a great website to go to uh, jimmyhinton.org um, survivor sanctuary if you can go to these sites and deal and listen to other people's stories and what they're going through that can also help you and finally you need to tell someone and, and I say that knowing how difficult it is because I spent 27 years keeping my secret. I was terrified to tell anyone and I was terrified someone was going to find out about my past. I had a wonderful husband. I couldn't tell him. No one knew about my past. And for 27 years, that's how I lived. So I know how difficult it is to tell someone, but you cannot free yourself and you cannot move and heal and I know you feel trapped, but you can only get out of that trap by telling someone. And I would suggest maybe telling someone not in the church because they too may be too close to the situation to be able to provide the kind of help and support you may need. So you might want to seek someone out from that's not involved in the church. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, you telling your friend and of all the people you had around you and surrounding you, everything you had done in the church uh, to find the one person who, when you, when you started opening your mouth and, and telling them the story, just really empowered you to keep going and, and was there for you. Uh, I, I was really so thankful to, to, to know that you had found the right person uh, to start the journey to recovery with and uh, stayed with you the whole time. You know, and even when I told her, it was like I cried for 20 minutes before I could get the words out. I was right. by my youth pastor. I, I couldn't say the words. And, and, and I say that to the victims, too. I understand because our perpetrators tell us no one's going to believe it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be your fault. You're going to be responsible for what happens to me. And you're going to be responsible for the downfall of this church because they will 
kick me out of the church and you're going to be responsible for that. So, you know, for 27 years, the words don't ever tell never left me. I, I just knew that if, at age 49, I was so fearful of telling someone because I was going to get in trouble. And, and so I, I know how hard it is to, to tell someone. I, I do understand that, but that's the only way that you're going to be able to move forward and heal and, and get yourself away from this predator. Yeah, it's 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 just got to come out of, of inside of you, and it's got to. Right. It's almost like a pressure cooker, right? And you get to release the the valve just a little bit is sometimes enough to to allow it to develop and in, in, into a recovery like you like you've had. That's a great analogy because that that's exactly how it is. Yeah. Um, so for our warriors, for our protectors, for the, the the church protectors here, what are some signs that they can look for? What are some things? Uh, that they maybe have seen already that that, that may be a, a red flag. Not, I'm not saying, you know, if you saw this, this is definitely sexual right. abuse search. No, but some signs or symptoms maybe that they can be aware of. And so if they do see it, that, that causes them to go down a path and maybe look a little bit deeper into it. Um, yeah. First of all, I would say these men are very good at what they do. So it's going to be difficult because, like I said, I think they're, they're they groom not only the victim, but the congregation around them and the people around them because they need that security of people believing them. So they're very good at what they do. But I would say um, look for signs of extra attention to, to, to a particular individual. Um, that's probably the first thing. But the second thing would be trust your gut. So if, if something doesn't seem right, it probably isn't. Um, and, and ask yourself, if he weren't my minister or my rabbi or my priest, would I find this behavior acceptable in someone else? Just because he's my priest, does that mean I should accept this behavior that I think is a little off? So let me give you an example in my own case. So he would take me on hospital visits. Well, you know, that seems like a good thing. but he was doing that so he could spend time with me and, and, and get me, you know, and that was part of the grooming process, but no one saw that as that, but, but you know, that was a great thing. He was taking me on these hospital visits, you know, to visit sick people from our congregation. But the other thing that he did when I would babysit for the family, his wife worked evening. So I would babysit. And after the kids were in bed, he'd say to me, well, let's sit and talk about the Bible and we'll talk about church and how we can get more people involved. And he would give me books to read on spirituality. And he would ask me about how school was going. And, you know, I didn't see anything wrong with this. In fact, I, I liked the attention. And this was my pastor who seemed to have an interest in my spiritual life. But if he'd been my 30 year old neighbor down the street right. and said, to me, let's sit on the couch and talk about your school. And I'd like to give you a book to read. I mean, that would have just been so weird to me. I have no doubt. I would have gone home to my mother and said, okay, this guy just wants to sit and talk to me. He's 30 years old married. I don't have any interest in talking to him. I mean, this is stupid, but, right. he, was, but he was my pastor. So it's it, what behavior you, you might seem a little off kind of think, well, would I accept this if he weren't the pastor? So that, that would be one thing. Um, and I, I guess just trust your gut on something and pay more attention. And I think if you have a policy in place of, of what you, you uh, expect of your leaders and they're not following that policy, that's another red flag. Yeah, that's one thing we're big on here. Um, you know, it's it saved more churches and people. 
uh, than anything. Uh, but people don't really understand what it is when I talk about a gut instinct. As soon as I talk to law enforcement officers, they know it right away. They've had a bad feeling on the side of the road or with the person they're dealing with. Uh, it's it, I call it the spidey sense sometimes. And when it's going off, it, it's really a physiological response our body is sending us. It's sending us a warning signal to say, hey, uh, there's been a pattern interrupted in your nature or in your environment. Figure out why that is uh, is wrong or out of place or out of character and investigate that, please. And th those are the signals we're getting. But sometimes if we dismiss that because we do cloud it with, well, that's just the pastor and he's overly friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, he has the right to meet in his office alone with a young lady. That's fine with, for the pastor. Well, no, we, we shouldn't have policies that allow that. We shouldn't, it, it, in, it, outside of rare circumstances, extremely rare circumstances, pastors should not be meeting with young children in their office in this day and age, especially mm -hmm. there should be someone there as an advocate for the child, uh, all these protections. Even, even adult women. I mean, even yeah. adult women, it should, it, 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 you know, sexual misconduct occurs anytime this pastor crosses his lines, the boundary of sexuality at all, but you're yeah. right, especially with young children. Um, and 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 a, and a pastor himself would not want to put himself in that position. He wouldn't. Would you know a, a pastor who cares about his integrity? He doesn't want to be alone in his office with a child or a, you know a vulnerable woman who's in his office. I mean, that's that that's a, you know someone who insists that I have to be in, alone with them. That's a definitely a red flag. Yeah, uh, JT Martin uh, says isolation isolation of an individual from groups, and I you know you look at that uh, as you know, culling someone out of the herd, you've got, uh, to put it in that term, you know, you, you've got a, a, a group of kids over here and one is being isolated, one is being singled out, one is being pulled to the side all the time as the special helper. You know, that's obviously a red flag. You know, in, in this day and age, I'll tell you personally, I, when I get to travel and train at churches, uh, if I'm in a hotel lobby and there's a lady waiting for the elevator and I'm waiting for the elevator, I'll ask her first if she minds if I get on the elevator with her, number one. And sometimes I'll just take the stairs anyhow because right. it's just worth whatever hassle, whatever's going on in her mind that could be happening. And, and it, it just puts them at ease, you know. So well, that's I, good. I, yeah. I'm good for that. Because, you know, truly, if, if, if I knew you were, if I knew a pastor was getting on the elevator with me, it would, it would send a lot of trigger factors in, into my, you know. Um, so I, I appreciate that. I think that's a great, um, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess I'm successful at marriage. It's only been 18 years, but uh, I think it's going to work out for me. Uh, I'm 41, so I'm, I'm a little ahead of you. Dang it. All right. Well, I'm, I don't know if I can catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know that that's one of the things I don't I don't do anything around other people that you wouldn't do if your spouse was standing right next to you. Those type of things, and, and we should just because a pastor or a minister has a collar on or wearing a certain uniform or carrying a Bible, we don't want to color that and say, okay, I can lower my risk now or I can wear I can lower my awareness. No, we we still live in a society where things like uh, that are possible, you know. And just because they have a certain uniform on, we we still want to be wary. And as a church protector, we want to be watching for those yeah, as well. You know, sadly, a lot of men are drawn to the church for that very reason who want to be the predator. That's the perfect place for them. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, the idea of the false prophets and the sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, that's they're drawn to the places where they know are vulnerable people and children that they can prey upon. Yeah. I mean, we had to have letters written to the church at Philippi, right, to say, hey, watch out for these clowns. They're they're not teaching the right way. Right. Uh, 
So what what steps do you think a church can take to ensure something like this doesn't occur in the church? I know we already talked about policies. Uh, anything that just st sticks out to you that you should go in a policy or, um, you, know, well, you know, we want to make sure. I, I think you need a policy and I but it needs not to sit on a shelf. It needs to be brought out every year so that the congregation is aware. Here's what our policy is. So we don't allow our pastors to counsel alone. The door has to be open. So if any time you happen to see this, let us know so that it puts a congregation on alert. It puts a pastor on alert, you know, that this is a, we take this very seriously. Um, I also think it would be a good idea to have one person who's um, probably the guru for this topic, who educates themselves, who is, who understands it. And so that they they can be the person who says, okay, here's what we're going to do and not do. Um, and it's just a matter of, of integrity and saying, here's what we're willing to stand for and what we're willing to accept. Um, and certainly I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire a pastor who's had a history of sexual misconduct. And that right. happens all the time. It sounds like it's a, a no brainer, but these, I mean, my own abuser remained in ministry and he still is in good standing. He, he works part time now. So, uh, right. you know, he's still out there. Yeah, I think that's vitally important. What you said there is make sure that we have a policy, number one, but we revisit it. Mm -hmm. uh, we also, you know, if you're going it, to, it's just like Sunday school. If you're going to be dealing with kids or you're going to be in church safety and security, you have a background check. And mm -hmm. we repeat those. Uh, not that it's going to catch everything, obviously. We we have a branch. We also have a policy as if you meet certain requirements or this is found in your background. Then you're not you're not going to be allowed to work with kids, or you or if it's staff, you're not going to be allowed to be on staff, whatever it is. Right. And we re you know we repeat those background checks because things can happen over a year, right? And and if we only do it one time, then that allows them to offend if they're an offender, and they got away with it again, right? So I, I really appreciate that call out for you know the for the people we're we're driving some some thought into the, for the people that. Uh, maybe even victims right now that are watching this or re-watching this in a replay. Uh, what are some amazing resources that you, you've got to shout out uh, and make sure they know about? Um, well, the Hope of Survivors has an excellent website that's, and they do actually some personal counseling so that you can actually contact an individual. So that website is excellent. JimmyHinton.org. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but his, mm -hmm. his very interesting story in that his own father, who was a pastor was abusing children over years in their church. And he and his mother turned him into the police. Um, he's just written a book called The Devil Within. It's, an, it's on Amazon. It's an excellent book, but he has been on the forefront of church policy and, and what we should be doing when these men are discovered in the church. Um, there's a bibliography in the back of my book, which has many resources that uh, victims and church leadership can access. And finally, I think for church leadership, um, the Presbyterian Church has been very good and has been on top of this issue many years ago. And so they were one of the first to come out with a really stringent policy. So um, it's, um, I think it's PCUSA.org if you want to, uh, church leadership want to look at what their policy says. And that's the other thing you can do is access, you know, the Methodist church or whatever church you want to and see what their policies are and, and take parts from there that would be helpful in your own church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, there's so many just fantastic resources and it, and it didn't used to be this way. Right. right. Uh, and and I, I remember reading that in your book and thinking, you know, 
you, you did hear about it um, a number of years ago in the Catholic side of things, and it was just something that happened to some people on in another state. But the, the prevalence of this thing, I, I think is, I don't even think we have touched the tip of the iceberg really, to be honest with you. I think there's so much of these, these Jeff characters that get kicked down the road to the next church and the next church. And as long as you're bringing people, you're putting butts in the seats and we've got money coming in, uh, then we can overlook some of the things that you're doing, right? And some of the things they, they some of the church will say, well, well, we'll take him out of ministry for a year. Well, that's not going to change anything. You're, you know, he, he can take a year off because because he wants his job back. Um, and again, you know, this isn't about punishment. It's about safety and integrity. So restoration, when you say, well, we're restoring you know, him back. to Well, the job of restoration should be to restore that person back to Christ, not to his job. He's right. lost that privilege. So, again, I think the churches fail in this it only seen as a moral issue. And they, they, they want to take care of this person and, and they want to forgive him and they want to, you know, get him back to where he was, which I think, you know, if he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, he's a wolf. He's not going to be changed right. into a sheep. He's a wolf. So um, that I, that concept is a little difficult for me to deal with because I want to say to them, you're not going to change this person. And no. a truly, truly repentant person would say, I, I cannot be in this position any longer. That's what a truly repentant person, he wouldn't be looking for ways to get back into that position again. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, even look at Jeff with his, uh, I had massive counseling and uh, still he just- identified as a sexual addict in counseling. Yeah. yeah. Still yeah. a pastor. Yeah. I, you know, that defies logic to me. I, I don't even have the words for that. No, no, I, I became probably as angry as you were, uh, maybe not that level, but as, as angry as I could be about that whole situation uh, and, and, the, and the kind of explaining it away. And I've had a tough life and all this kind of stuff. It just it, it, dealing with these clowns in my day to day activities in my yeah. job. It just uh, and, and again, with my work with victims, I wish I could say my story was unique, but, it, mm -hmm. you know, it, it goes on in the same pattern of forgiving the pastor, forgiving the offender and saying to the victim, well, you know, we need to forgive and, you know, you need to heal from this. So please don't, you know, silence is important. And it just, it's, it's sickening how now, you know, not every church and certainly churches are doing better at this, but it's still, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So Sandy, how can people get this? How can people best get your book, Let Me Pray Upon You? I, and again, Warriors, I'm just going to give you a shout out right now. You need to get this book. However, Sandy says to get this book, you need to get this book and read it. Uh, it's on available on my website, uh, sandyphillips.com. I mean, sandyphillipskirkham.com. Um, if you go through my website, I can sign it for you if you'd like. Or it's available on Amazon and hardback and on Kindle. So um, both three of those, both those places, you can get the book. Very good. Yeah, and again, I don't, I, I just can't say this enough. I recommend highly getting the book and reading the book. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? I know they're going to be uh, wanting some more information, uh, wanting to hear some more of your story, and maybe even uh, I, do you, you still do public speaking, right? I do. I, I, I'm, I will go anywhere, any place with his. A thousand people or 10 people. Um, I'm very passionate about my message. And I feel because I am a victim, I have a perspective that you can't get from anyone else. Um, you can read all the books you want. But when you hear my story personally, I think that's the impact. So, yeah, I do speaking engagements. I'm willing to travel anywhere at my own expense because I'm so passionate about this. And I really do feel 
this is God's work for me. Um, I, it, it's, it's what I was meant to do. That abuse didn't define my life. Um, it made me a, it, it, it changed me, but it didn't define me. And so this is my purpose. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, and I'll, you know, podcast or whatever, but um, they can get in touch with me through my website um, or my Facebook page, Sandy Phillips Kirkham author. Um, and I'm happy to talk with anyone. And um, I'm certainly any victim out there, because I, I, I understand. Yeah, very good. Colton, I see you from uh, Colton Lee Johnson, American Church Group of Texas. Uh, more than happy to share our guidelines and ministry worker resources. I appreciate that. Colton, if you would do me a favor, shoot us an email at admin at protectorstoolkit.com, admin at protectorstoolkit.com. I want to talk to you more about that and see what resources we can give to our warriors out there. Sandy, uh, any last thoughts for our guests, for our warriors? Well, I appreciate the work that they're doing and that they are willing to, you know, take this topic on and look at it in a way that says, what's the best way we can protect our congregation and deal with it when it happens. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm so thankful for people who are willing to do that because as you said, it, it's still out there and we need to deal with it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, I do want to say from, from me to you, I think you found your sunshine again. Thank you. Uh, with, uh, with Mr. Forty, was he number forty on the switchboard? Yes, number forty was forty on the switchboard. We'll let that. We'll let the audience figure out what that means. That's right. That's secret. You got to find it in the book. All right, Sandy. Thank you so much. If I can ever thank do anything you. for you, be a resource for you or a help for you, please reach out to me. You've got all my contact information. Uh, let's stay in touch for sure. And sure. I, anything I, I can do for you, you let me know. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So let me sign us off here. If you're new to Protectors Toolkit, don't forget to hit the like button. And then on YouTube, hit that bell so you get notifications and you uh, subscribe to the channel, obviously. We want to make sure that whenever new content comes out that you get it first and fastest. Make sure you go check out our podcast, Word and a Weapon, Word and a Weapon on all your podcast platforms. Now for watching this show today, staying to the end, I'll tell you what, promo code Warrior Wednesday, promo code Warrior Wednesday. Use it right now to go over to the membership site to get this month at only $10. Promo code Warrior Wednesday just for sticking with us. If you're law, if you're looking for classes in 2021, we're booking fast. Get your calendar, get your dates on the calendar that you want for your church. Whether you want the firearms training, you want the church essentials training, uh, de-escalation training, whether you want scenario-based training, whatever it is. At Protectors Toolkit, we'll bring it to you. If you're also filling out your Department of Homeland Security grant, make sure you contact us right now to work on your virtual risk assessment. You need to turn in a risk assessment with your grant. We will do that for you. We'll get the risk assessment in your hands. The thing to remember about risk assessments is what you measure is what you'll be accountable for. So if you are personally measuring something at your church, you'll be accountable for that. You'll also be accountable for the things that you don't measure. So use Protectors Toolkit to get that. If you're booking a class with us, you also qualify for our grant. $500 could be coming to your church, to your ministry, just for having a training and hosting a training at your church. Go find us on all of our social media, like, subscribe, and warriors, as I always say, keep them safe.